This episode of 64, a chess podcast, is brought to you by Aim Chess. Use code DAVID30 at checkout to get 30% off of your subscription. to another episode of 64 a chess podcast i'm your host david and i'm joined today by john hartman john hartman is currently the online editor for us chess the us chess federation for chess life john how are you doing living the dream david thanks for having me on yeah i'm very 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 excited to have you on um i got into contact with john on twitter so you can follow me on twitter at 64 podcast and you can get plugged into the rest of chess twitter um, which is a really really great supportive space um and yeah so i guess we'll just get right into it so uh you've been writing uh for chess life as a freelancer since 2013 um and what are your current responsibilities for for the magazine so i am the editor of chess life magazine uh, the print version, and I also oversee our online presence, Chess Life Online. Chess Life, at least under my editorship, is definitely moving towards a more uh, chess-centric kind of uh, focus. I'm, I'm trying to uh, bring it back to something like it was in the 1990s when I first started getting the magazine. We've had articles by people like Elizabeth Spiegel uh, on how to see tactics and positions, uh, Coach Jay Stallings from California on night moves, like uh, night outposts and, and things like that. Um, our June issue, which people should have in their mailboxes by now, has an article by uh, Elshan Maradi Abadi, Grandmaster Elshan Maradi Abadi on outposts. Um, and he calls them quasi outposts, which is kind of an interesting thing. Um, and he talks about how it's important to, to, to study the classics. So you can come up with concepts like that. Um, you know, definitely if, if you are a beginning player or someone who maybe, you know, who was away from the game and got turned on by the queen's gambit or something like that. Uh, I I think chess life will be a a pretty friendly place for you to, to, to land and then start getting back into the chess world. Yeah, well, I, I definitely agree, you know, having read both, I think I think Chess Life is, is definitely much friendlier um, than Chess Informer. Even for me, I think I'm like, you know, something like 1800, 1900 online. And yeah, Chess, even Chess Informer for me is a bit a bit much. But I really love love Chess Life. And I, I tell all my friends who are getting into Chess to sign up with the Federation and that they can get in their mailboxes. Um, yeah, we actually just revamped our membership uh, structure. So the way it works now whatever membership you get could be a youth membership, um, a senior member. I think actually, I think the senior membership is a little different, but it could be youth or junior or, or a regular adult. Um, you, there's one membership fee and then that comes with online access to the magazine. Um, but for a little bit more, I think it's something like $9 and 50 cents more. You get the print edition mailed to you every month. Um, when you compare that to, 
something like New and Chess, which is $100 a year, or American Chess Magazine, which is $100 a year. And uh, you get either four or six issues of American Chess Magazine. You get eight issues of New and Chess. Uh, with Chess Life, you get it in your mailbox every month. And for the for the, for the pretty amazing price, if, if I do say so myself, of, of $10. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Anybody who's listening, definitely join US Chess, play some rated chess, and uh, make sure you get the paper magazine, please. Yeah, so so one thing I was actually curious about um, was I, I want to talk a little bit about this chess boom. It's it's a it's a topic I've talked about a lot, um, and it's it's already been a year later. Like a year ago, I think this month was the first Pog Champs tournament. I think it was like June or July. So it yep. was around around a year ago. I don't remember the exact specifics, um, but there's no real signs of this. Hey, the chess boom has definitely slowed down. But I think there are some promising signs of, of uh, you know, the fact that, at least in America, there has been like a, a lasting change in the online chess, uh, in the online gaming scene, period. And also, I think, hopefully, maybe, you know, you working for US Chess have seen something like this, like a lasting stay of some extra influx of players that would not have been in the game before. I, I think we're at a point right now where we're going to test that hypothesis. Um, with tournaments beginning to happen over the board on a national basis. Um, I mean, the you know, we just had the Chicago Open, uh, the Cherry Blossom in Virginia. Uh, we're going to have the National Open in, in Las Vegas coming up, I, I guess, this weekend. Mm-hmm. Is it this, this weekend or next weekend? I'm not sure. Um, and then, of course, the, the U.S. Open, which I, I highly encourage everybody who's listening, if you're on the East Coast or if you just want to fly to Philadelphia, <laughs> um, definitely think about coming to the U.S. Open. It's it's going to be big. Uh, if if there's going to be a change because of the Queen's Gambit and because of the the online boom, um, I think we should start seeing it pretty quickly. Yeah. So uh, fingers crossed that, that we get a lot of new members coming in and uh, they bring new new energy to the scene. Um, yeah, and one reason why I want to bring this up is because I remember there that there was a cover for Chess Life, um, and it was like all the streamers uh, on this big purple cover. Uh, did you have anything to do with that cover? Yeah, so I, I took over as editor of Chess Life in June of 2020, um, which of course, you know, right in the middle of a pandemic is the best time ever to take over a magazine because nothing can go wrong. <laughs> Um, but, uh, we, you know, we managed to get on top of the, the online chess boom pretty quickly. Uh, I think that was our August cover that you're talking about. And yeah, international uh, master Eric Rosen, who was a a very well-known streamer. Uh, he wrote the story, the cover story. He talked to Hikaru Nakamura for the cover story. He did a whole sort of, uh, primer about Twitch and, and about, uh, emotes and, all sorts of things that older players might not know so much about. Uh, and the cover really, um, our art director at the time, Frankie Butler, she just, uh, she knocked it out of the park. She she found a graphic artist who specialized in that sort of thing. And we got him all the photos we could. Uh, we couldn't get photos of everybody, uh, at least not in time to, to make the magazine work. But uh, we got everybody we could on the cover and it's, it's fantastic. Um, I mean, really, I think one of my favorite covers that we've done so far. Although I, I will say, uh, for those of you who are listening, when you get the June issue, that is my fa- the the June twenty twenty one issue. This is my favorite cover we've done so far. 
Now, can you give us can you give us like a uh, an audio preview of what we can expect on the cover? So the cover is a portrait of international master John Donaldson. Uh, John Donaldson, for those of you who may not know who he is, is the author of um, I think thirty chess books now, but he's best known for his book um, that just came out. It's called Bobby Fischer and His World. And so, if if you're looking for a historian about Bobby Fischer. John Donaldson is your guy. Um, and we had a photographer go to the Mechanics Institute in San Francisco where he used to work and do a, a full photo shoot with him. And um, it is the photography we got for this article. I mean, so basically we have an excerpt from the book. We have uh, Donaldson talking about the book project. We have a, a Fisher game. We also have one of John's games put in there. Um, the photography is just, stunning i mean as as good as you're going to see in any magazine um anywhere so uh i i just i, I can't speak highly enough of of the photographer's name is uh, uh ian spanner and uh he's just fantastic yeah i mean i'm i'm, I'm really looking forward to it because i i got my uscf membership i renewed it in may so i'm i've been waiting for this issue and uh Maybe it's in my mailbox now. I have to check after this. After your well, report. July won't be out yet. We are actually today. Oh, it's July. Uh -huh. Yeah, no, June is uh, June is in the mail. Uh, is should be in your mailboxes by now. Um, it's got coverage of the candidates tournament with Jan Napomniachi on the cover. In fact, if you haven't seen it, we're on Zoom so he can see me. Um, this is. Oh, that looks so cool. Yeah, it's. Um, we have a new art director. His name is um, Corey Kennedy, and. Uh, yeah, we're we're in the midst of a total revamp of the magazine, and he's making it look absolutely brilliant. Uh, this cover with Napomniachi's face on it is just—it's stunning. So now, so side question: You know, um, how how involved, how plugged in are you to like the current chess world today, and like that kind of drama that's going on there? Um, relatively plugged in. Um, you know, there, there's, for example, this week, I certainly am not as plugged in as I would have been because we're, we're shipping the magazine out Monday. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, I, I try to keep up with things. Yeah. No. Cause I, so you like, you follow the candidates, for example, when it was going on and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then with regard to, to us chess and chess life, I was, so I guess what I'm wondering is how plugged in are you with us chess like i guess to what extent do you have your own like creative decisions um that you know you can take or to what extent is it does you have like everything need to be approved by us chess or is it just very much like uh like just go wild you're the editor you're editor-in-chief now or yeah like so i i have edit i i retain editorial control over the magazine That's so um, cool. and to a large degree over the website um so what that means is that we can report on a lot of things. Um, I, I, you know, this is not a, it's certainly not a pure uh, news, hard news operation. And I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Um, for those of you who have been in the Twitter world for a while, you may remember during the Caruana Carlson World Championship match, there was a big to do about a screenshot of a video. Mm -hmm. Um, where, you know, Caruana's laptop was seen and you could sort of see elements of his preparation. Um, I broke that story. So, and, and now 
of course, breaking it on Twitter is not really a thing. I, I, I mean, you know, at that point I was um, a freelance columnist for the magazine, just writing the book reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, would I cover that now as, as part of Chess Life or Chess Life Online? Maybe not in the same way. And the reason is that Chess Life is an American-centric chess magazine, right? We're, we're trying to present the best of American chess in all of its forms, um, you know, correspondence, youth, senior, uh, armed forces, chess, uh, whatever we can get our hands on that we can promote in terms of American chess we want to do. And not just tournament chess either. I mean, um, we're, we're working on a story right now about an online corporate league um, in the June issue, I'm sorry, in the July issue, we have a story about uh, a high school in California where a bunch of young women are playing correspondence chess. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're trying to talk about American chess in all of its forms, um, but I suspect that that probably we, we're trying to always put our best gloss on it. And so things like, you know, uh, some of the online controversies about Hikaru Nakamura, um, or Timor you know, drawing so, a lot of things, for example. I'm sorry. Recently, it's like people are saying yeah, Timor of like draws too many games boringly. Well, I mean that. See, that is kind of news. And for for me, that that could be part of an article, um, because it's not gossipy. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, yeah, it's when, like facts. Like, the, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and and th- there is certainly a problem with the way the draws are being used in some of these tournaments like in the 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 cryptocurrency tournament that chess 24 just ran um you know it's a little as an outside observer it's a little galling that some of these people are being paid a lot of money to to play 14 moves draws in the berlin yeah i i do i do actually but i i do i did want to actually talk about this with somebody and um i i I mean i do want to keep talking about chess life but while we're on the while we're on the topic um i to me i'm i'm one of those contrarians where i think it's it's kind of more of a shame of on the format because I do under I, I don't, you know, I don't think the chess players are like tennis players and that the amount of money that they make, of course, they're making a lot of money playing chess. I'm not disputing that. Um, but I, I don't under, I, me personally, if it were up to me making these, like the FX FTX crypto cup, if it were up to me, I would just get rid of the qualifications. I think it's stupid. And it, it, it completely encourages these kind of drawing behaviors that guys like Hikaru or Wesley and, and Timor because people were shaming. I think it was the three of them for going for these quick draws, but they all ended up qualifying. So yeah, it's, it unfortunately works. So if you want to see fighting chess, you know, these 14 move draws in the Berlin, I mean, it, it, it does work. Um, well, it, it's, it's, it's rational for them to do it, right? They're right. all self-interested rational actors and the way that the rules are set up. Um, certainly there is no logical reason for them to avoid making these strategic draws. Uh, so, so you're right. There are, there are structural problems with the way that these tournaments are laid out. Um, and then and, also there's no rating involved either. So like, you're not really worried if you just take a quick draw against somebody, you know, if, if, if he's like a hundred rating points below you and it's a feeder rated tournament, you're not going to do that. Uh, almost never. If you're trying to like fight, if you're like MVL who said he's trying to fight to be in the top 10, um, you know, for example, he wants to, and he's not in the top 10 right now as we, as we speak. Um, then you're not going to do that. Uh, but there's no like online, you're like universal rating. Um, and so I think that that's also kind of a problem. Um, yeah, also- there, there need to be incentives for people to fight. 
Um, and whether that is, uh, you know, broadening the field of players, because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I've seen the, sen- the, the same 10 people play each other in all these tournaments for the past oh, I agree completely. three years. Yeah. I, um, I, it, it sucks for them too, I'm sure. I mean, I actually think on Agan Madhur's podcast, I think it was either MVL or maybe Hikaru, they talked about how, um, you know, you go to the hotel and you see the same faces for like 10 years and you, you have you, such a good sense of like the guys are playing. And if you look at the, um, it's the Grand Chess Tour now in Romania, and you have these two Romanian GMs who are like 2,600 who are like destroying people. Like they have wins against Anish Giri, MVL, uh, I think didn't somebody, I, I, I was just astonished. Like, you know, these are guys I never heard of. And, you know, it's their first like real taste of like of 2,700 blood and they're, they're gone. Uh, well, for one of them, I mean, the, the one, the first wildcard, uh, I'm going to botch his name, um, but Lupa Sescu, he's, he's certainly been on the cusp of 2,700, if not there for a while. Um, so, I, you know, his, his relative success, I mean, I, I think both of them are on the bottom half of the cross table right now. Mm-hmm. But his relative success is not surprising. Um, it's the 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 other guy who came in at the last minute. Um, yeah, for Rapport, Diaz. He he, uh, you know, I, I mean, great for him. I mean, he gets he gets experience against the top guys in the world. He gets to test himself, um, and and you know, he gets a win. I mean, didn't I mean he? You know, uh, I, I think you can sort of say something similar about Jordan Van Forest, who uh, who won Tata Steel this year. Uh, Certainly, you know, um, someone who was on the rise, but when you look at that field, he was not the person you expected to win. Right. Uh, he was just, you know, local cannon fodder, but he played brilliant chess and uh, had nerves of steel and beat Geary in the playoff. And, you know, and, and we got to do a great interview with him in our February or March issue. Now there's some people who, um, who are advocating for these tournaments to do kind of like a, uh, on Twitter, I've seen this. And it's just a fun little idea, but to do kind of like a soccer style win loss draw table where you get three points instead, or I guess the equivalent would be one and a half points for a win, still a half point for a draw and zero for a loss. Or, you know, if you multiply by two, it's like you would have in soccer, usually three points for a win, one point for a draw, zero points for a loss. And so you can still go for those cheap draws, but you're not actually, they're not half wins anymore. They're third of a win. And so you're more likely to fall to the bottom of the table by going for that. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Sure. Yeah, that, that's been a solution that's been kicked around for many years. And uh, yeah, I, I think that there have been some tournaments that have tried to reuse it. Um, to me, it has always seemed a little artificial, but really, you know, any, anything we can do to, to try to, to instigate some more fighting spirit among our, some of our players, I think is, is good. Um, you know, so this is this sort of conversation, right? Is something that I could see people talking, like some of our authors talking about in Chess Life. Um, you know, and and the point is not to shame anyone, but these are sorts of newsworthy things that I think we can talk about because the the question all gets back to editorial control mm-hmm. and editorial independence. Um, you know, one of the great things about my job is that I'm pretty much getting to build the chess magazine that I want to see. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a club player. I mean, you know, I'm like, well, right. <laughs> I had, I had some pretty serious health problems over the past couple of years and my rating went from almost 1900 us chess or us, uh, uscf. I think I'm down to like 1780 something, uh, right now. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a decent player. I'm not mm-hmm. great shakes, but you know, I, I know how the horsey moves. <laughs> um, I'm getting to build the magazine that I think someone like me would want to read. 
and I'm I'm getting to build a magazine that I that I can see sort of building out both ways, right? Towards uh, a more uh, beginner-oriented audience. So I'm trying to have articles that are specifically designed for people who are new to the game. And I'm trying to throw in things for even, you know, master, international master, even grandmaster readers. I mean, we just had, um, I think it was in May, we had analysis from uh, Boris Gelfond, which will, is as deep and as complicated as anything you will see in any chess periodical in the world. And also as deep as you would expect from a guy like Boris yeah, it's I, it's you know I mean I I had to play through all that as part of the editing process. I have no idea what it all meant, um, but it was <laughs> but it was interesting, you know, to to say okay, here are these different these different key positions in rook end games, and here's how you can use them to orient yourself in incredibly complicated positions, like trying to inhabit the the mind of a great player like that. I mean, for me, that's what chess literature does. That's uh, you know the the sort of work that you're doing to really work through the analysis and internalize it. I mean, that's where chess improvement happens. You know, that's, uh, even if you don't always understand everything you're playing through, the effort and the visualization, um, that's, I mean, you know, that's that's 110, 120% of your, your effort, uh, your effort level, and that's gonna build your skills. So another question, you know, you talk about the magazine you wanna see. Do you have a sense of like what the, average chess life reader like what their rating is or, or maybe not, not specifically like a number but like what, what kind of like what the skill level is of the average person who's like reading and you know sending feedback about the magazine um we have we have data on this i haven't run it recently um, but one of the things i'm hoping to do in the near future is send out a survey to members to get more of this sort of demographic data so age, um, you know, number of years as a member, um, rating level, things they'd like to see, things that they don't like to see. I mean, you know, we've, um, in the past couple of years, we have reduced our number of columnists. Uh, some of them, some of the columns will come back. So, you know, for example, uh, Pal Benko's Endgame column, uh, it, uh, it, it was being done by Daniel Naroditsky. He decided he um, uh, could not devote uh, time to it anymore. Uh, eventually that will come back because I, I like the end game and I think it's important. I just don't know when right now because like everybody else, U.S. chess has been hit by you know the, the realities of the COVID pandemic. And um, we've had to cut back on, for example, the size of the magazine. Uh, that should go back as members return. But uh, for now, I mean, you know, we're, we're having to watch our pennies just like everybody else. And now, a word from this week's sponsor. I don't know about you guys, but lately I've hit a wall in my chess improvement. I'm grateful to have a good coach and friends to help me with my studies, but something just hasn't been clicking. That's why I've been using Aim Chess to help me find immediate weaknesses in my game and to target areas of improvement as I continue my climb to expert rating. Aim Chess has no rivals for what it offers, which is a holistic overview of your strengths and weaknesses. By looking at your 40 most recent games on either chess.com or leechess.org, Aim Chess can tell you what openings have been working for you, how often you blunder compared to opponents, how long you spend on moves that lead to decisive mistakes, and even things as specific as your strongest and weakest days of the week. For me, personally, Tuesdays always spell disaster for my rapid training games. This and many more things are available with Aim Chess. But Aim Chess does even more than this. 
Aim Chess takes positions from your actual games and turns them into extractive puzzles. It offers warm-ups and training exercises so that you can get your brain running before you head into the online arena. It can help you study your openings in positions where you deviate from main lines. I personally love the 360 Trainer, which prompts you with a variety of exercises to improve all facets of your game. And with future features on the way, such as endgame performance analysis and studies, it's no wonder that the Play Magnus group recently added Aim Chess to its group of chess apps and tools. Wait, does this mean this podcast is sponsored by Magnus Carlson? Anyway, use code DAVID30 to get 30% off of your subscription to Aim Chess today. And, um, well, kind of why I'm asking all these questions also, just as a little side note, is because um, I, I just graduated college, like, two weeks ago, but, um, I wanted, before I like picked my, what I hope will be my career, I really wanted to go into journalism. And, uh, so I, you know, I find the whole concept of like chess journalism to be very cool. Um, I mean, you know, first of all, I I would not hold myself up as an exemplar for anyone to follow as a career path. Um, I was working on a PhD in philosophy for many years. Um, and at some point, as I was teaching chess more, and as I had begun writing about chess more, my wife said to me, she said, you know, this kind of feels more like a career move for you than just a hobby. Mm-hmm. And even there, it took a long time for me to get to a place where I could even consider this. Um, you know, I started writing book reviews on a blog. You know, this is like 2012, 2013. And I started doing it because I wanted free books. Because, you know, because I knew from academia that if you're a book reviewer, people will send you books. And I was like, boy, I don't have any money. It would be great if I could get some chess books. So I started reviewing books. And then I think it was at the 2013 U.S. Open. um, I went and I, I, by chance, I met some people who were involved with the Chess Journalists of America. And the next thing I knew, my website had been slipped into the judging for best chess website or chess blog. And uh, I also met Dan Lucas there, who is now the senior director of communications for U.S. Chess. At that time, he was the Chess Life editor. And I said, hey, um, I write book reviews. Would you like one? And he said, maybe. (laughs) And then I wrote one freelance and I wrote a couple more freelance. And then he decided it was easier to let me do it every month and find somebody else. Um, That's not a career path. That's like chance that's you know this is this is like the the neoliberal posters uh, poster boy for things that that improbably go right you know like you have to work essentially for free and then hope somebody notices you and and for me that yeah. happened um but you know even sports journalism i mean you know look at what's going on with you know ESPN is is cutting either the, the the salary of anchors and uh, the Atlanta, the Athletic is possibly being bought out by the New York Times. I mean, it's it, everything is consolidating. People are losing their jobs. Yeah. Um, well, that's why I didn't go into journalism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, well, the Fulbright doesn't hurt either. I mean, that's a good incentive to to go somewhere else and study things for a while. But um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, not not too shabby. Not to not to toot your horn for you, but you should be proud of that. Um, no, I'm very, I'm very proud, but I'm, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not going for, for journalism. I'm, no, I know I'm you're going for astrophysics. Yeah. I decided astrophysics was, was it going to be easier than, than. A and that says a lot. I mean, that's <laughs> so, so, you know, when you're saying, you know, uh, chess journalism is something you're interested in. Um, my advice to you is to have it as your side gig or your passion project. Um, 
Well, yeah, that's why I started this podcast, yeah. actually. And, and that's because I, that's, I mean, I want to talk to people. And, um, you know, I also see US Chess has their own podcast. We do. Like, we have uh, uh, four podcasts. I do one of them. Uh, so the first week of every month is me talking basically to whoever wrote our cover story. Um, this month, I could have talked to myself because um, I was the co-author with Jakob Agard or uh, Jacob Agard, as we heathen Americans say. You're going to Denmark, right? So you're actually going to learn how to pronounce his name. It's, uh, it's, isn't it Agard? It's, no, 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 no. Yes, that is how you say it. That's, you got positional play right in front of you on the screen. Um, no, you have to, um, the, the actual Danish pronunciation is almost. It's Ogard. It's Ogard. It's because like Aarhus is like this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost unutterable yeah. for most English speakers. Yeah. Yeah. Not for me either. You, you did pretty uh, well, so. I got to say. Um, I've, I've been learning a little Danish. So, you know, so I, I co-wrote that with him. Um, I also ended up writing the, the cover story for Chess Life Kids, which is about uh, Tani Adewumi, the, the, the young man who made Master. Um, Wonderkind, I'm so proud of him. He, uh, great story, fantastic family. Um, you know, when we've needed, like if we ask for a photo or something that we can put in the magazine, they're all about it. Um, just lovely, lovely people. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, we do this podcast where we talk to the cover story, uh, cover story writer. Uh, I talked to Jakob. Um, I've talked to Maurice Ashley. Uh, my favorite one for anybody who's listening would be the one I did with Michael Tizerand, uh, who wrote a cover story about a New Orleans jazz musician named Charlie Gabriel. Um, and we talked all about, I mean, about New Orleans and chess and Zydeco um, and Katrina and, I mean, you know, just all sorts of things that are near and dear to my heart. Um, so a yeah, great podcast. I'm really excited about it. Uh, the second week of every month, Dan Lucas talks to someone uh, who is doing something important in the chess world for uh, one move at a time. I think the third week is Jen Shahadi's um, Ladies Night podcast. I love that one. She is she is all over the place. I mean, like every time I turn around, she's doing something new and something exciting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, just a uh, big shout out to Jen. I know she's listening, and if not, I'll tell her to listen. Well, she just followed me on Twitter, and we, I'm trying. We're gonna we're working on getting we're working on getting Jen Shahadi on. So you know, Jen Shahadi fans, uh, Jen Shahadi has told me on Twitter that uh, she. She will do a podcast episode with me at some point. I'm a, I'm a very go. big fan of her and also Maurice Ashley. Um, you know, that 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 team, the two of them, uh, and Yasser, the three of them, that's they were actually they were part of the reason why I got into chess because of that enthusiasm watching the Grand Chess Tour. Uh so it, it's 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 fascinating to me. See, I mean, you know, I started playing chess what 1989, 1990. So uh the internet consisted of uh a pay service called Prodigy, which was basically a glorified bulletin board. Um, you could tell net into a chess server, but at least when I, the first time I did it, there was no graphic interface. So you had to like type in your moves. Um, I mean, you have a very different world and you know, you're, you're getting into chess because of what you see on Twitch or Twitter. And uh, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's just, it's sort of democratizing access to chess information in ways that I could never have imagined when I started. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. It's it's really, and I also think that you know that that's why, you know, I I tell this story to a couple of my friends because, you know, I'm I'm like 22, being being in college when I even when I started college, I remember like my second year of college, I was playing chess in my like dorm room, and one of my like roommates' uh, friends came over and he kind of looked at me like, why are you playing chess? Like this is stupid. Like why why are you doing this? Like you you could like. It's a Friday night where you're not going out. You're playing chess like at like 10 p.m. 
And uh, two years later, same guy asked me to teach him how to play chess hmm. uh, in college. Uh, and I've, I've seen like a lot of people like just really like want to get into this thing partially because, you know, so a lot of people don't have a board, but now it's like, well, you can't just play online. You can't just play on Lee chess or, you know, chess.com. Lee chess. I mean, golly. And I'm trying to, you know, I, I know I sound corny is all whatever mm-hmm. when I say golly, but my, I have a kid now, so I, I try not to swear as much. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, what can you say about Lee chess? I mean, I think Lee Chess, Lee Chess in terms of gaming, may be one of the greatest projects ever. It's it's absolutely astounding. And and you know, what is beautiful about the chess marketplace today is that there is room for a place like that, and there's also room for chess.com and room for chess24 and even Kasparov chess, which you know, you know, which I remember back when it was, you know, like 2005, yeah. Yeah, know. when it is first incarnation, we had to like get some sort of weird video player to see their videos. Um, Fun I mean, fact, I was the fifth person ever to log in into Kasparov Chess apparently with a with an actual account. Because when I logged in and I looked at the leaderboard, it was me, Peter Svidler, Gary Kasparov, and like three other guys. And so I you were rated fifth there. behind them? Yeah. You you should have taken... I hope you took a screenshot. I think it's somewhere on my phone, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's... I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing, amazing time to be a chess player. And... Uh, you know, I, I only wish, you know, I only wish that I could have started out now because, uh, God, it'd just be so much fun. Yeah, no. And so, yeah, I think that, um, I'm very excited. I think that, that like, I'm already optimistic in that I've, at least for me personally, I had like dozens of friends, like asked me to teach them chess over zoom, like those from college or even friends who are like from home in New York. And since then, I mean, I've been going regularly or I've been trying to go regularly to the Marshall Chess Club with one of my friends. Uh, he's actually gone without me. And he has a much higher OTB rating than me as of now. Uh, so I got one guy completely hooked. His name is Matt. Shout out to you, Matt. Um, and then I have... Friend of the pod. Shout yeah, out. friend. Yeah, shout out friend of the pod, Matt. Um, and then I have a couple of other friends like like Daniel um, who who've been... They've been playing and they've been grinding and they've been learning. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, whether it's... And I also just think that uh, even like the podcast scene, I had no idea that there was such a vibrant chess podcast scene until like I started because I was familiar with Perpetual Chess, which is fantastic. I mean, you have to listen to that if you if you want to listen to any chess podcast. It's Perpetual Chess with Benny. Um, you got to listen to that. Who will be at the U.S. Open, by the way, I'm told. So if, if, oh. you, if you are, in, I mean, if you're in the New York area or if you're in the Philadelphia area or anywhere in the vicinity, uh, I am as of now, I'm gonna be there all nine days, I think. So you can be playing. Uh yeah, so that well, this is the tough part is that um, you know, we will be uh sending the magazine to the printer by the 13th of August for the September issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, by at the latest, because our art art director is going on vacation. Uh so trying to do that, um, trying to do some co- some of the writing for our online coverage of the the events. Um, and then I gotta play, and then I mean. I want to play at night. It's just a question of whether or not I'm going to have the energy. Well, energy is a state of mind. I'm totally well, kidding. yes and no. It's um, when you're 22. So yeah, you know, yeah. don't, don't, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Um, yeah. I also, and you know, and this is actually something that came up in my interview with Jakob. Um, I had a, had a really difficult 2020 and early 2021 um, because I was diagnosed with this very rare 
condition called achalasia, where uh, basically my body forgot how to swallow. <laughs> um, and I couldn't eat or drink and it got bad. So um, even now after having surgery to not fix entirely, but at least make this situation bearable, um, my energy levels are not what they once were and right. they probably will never be again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I'm fortunate that I'm relatively healthy, but at the same time, you know, a uh, full day's work and then a six hour game at night, since I tend to play long end games, uh, we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I didn't want to, I wasn't sure if you wanted to like to talk about that. No, it's, it's, I, I think it's actually, it's important because, um, you know, as I said, in this little mini Twitter storm, I had, um, you know, everyone knows someone who has something going on in their life that, that is not obvious. Uh, maybe they are, you know, living with some sort of long-term disease or they, you know, uh, maybe they lost a child or a, or, a, you know, partner, or they lost a parent. Everybody's got something going on. Um, and, you know, if you don't, then kudos to you, but it'll happen to you. So uh, I'm just reminded of how important it is to be generous in our interactions with each other. Um, and, you know, especially in the chess world. I mean, with all these new players coming in, you know, I, I grew up in New York. Um, I grew up on Long Island. And so I, you know, I, I cut my teeth at the Nassau Chess Club uh, in Mineola and going into the city. And I was more of a Manhattan guy than a Marshall guy, just because uh, it was easier to get off at Penn Station and then walk up to the Manhattan when it was up on Restaurant Row. But I mean, you know, these tournament directors, they were as nice as could be to me. Uh, They're still know. super nice, even in Marshall. I mean, the, the, I was there like two weeks ago. I haven't even talked about like my Marshall Chess Club experience yet with being back well, there first time. Talk like, about it now. I mean, what's it like playing, you know, with with uh, being there and, and, and with everybody having to be vaccinated? And I know that was some controversy, although I'm I mean, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'm incredibly glad they did it that way. No, I, of course, I, I totally agree. I mean, especially in, in New York where most people are vaccinated. I, I don't think it's, I mean, it's part of getting back the society is getting vaccinated. I don't see why it's so controversial. Exactly. And um, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I mean, I got my vaccine as soon as I was able to. I, I was like, but, I don't even know, care what it is. Just stick it in my arm. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about vaccine politics, but I just, you know, there's this one guy. So, so I'll just say this story. I'll do my own chess journalism. There's some guy, forget his name. I'm doing, you know, really my due diligence as a journalist right now. <laughs> so you, um, it's you, you can say someone who will be, you know, remain nameless. That's, I mean, you don't have to give yeah. them the, 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 the publicity, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Someone who will remain nameless was a longtime member of the club who actually seemed to the club members and uh, the club board seemed to really like this guy. He's an anti-vaxxer. And uh, he was infuriated that um, that the club was making people get vaccinated. And so he's been leading these protests onto the club like every like couple of days, like on the weekday, at exactly seven when the action tournaments begin. Um, so actually, when I went, the, 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 they actually moved us into like the, the library on the second floor and, and had everybody else play downstairs so that you couldn't hear the rabble of like this anti-vax crowd, the small anti-vax crowd that was like cheering and like throwing like, you know, signs up and down about like, oh, yeah, you know, open up for everybody. Most of them are not even club members actually who go to these protests. It's like this like anti-vax Facebook group that they just go to all these places, like all these establishments that make you wear masks and like 
throw a little scene for a little bit and then they leave. Yeah. Um, but he, he got his club membership like suspended for five years and, and, and not, not because of his anti-vax stance, but because of harassing people. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's the thing is that, you know, I mean, reasonable people. <laughs> well, reasonable people get the vaccine and I'm, I'm well, not, right. I, and, and, and right. I, I, w- I was going to say reasonable people, people can reasonably disagree about things. Right. But it's right. But at the same time, I mean, come on. Um, that said, if you want to disagree with somebody's policy, a private, a private organization's policy, you can disagree with it, but you don't have to be disagreeable in the way that you do it. Yeah. I mean, and I also, I'm not sure that the best way to retain your club membership is to like attack the club like that. Right. You know, when I start running tournaments here in Nebraska again, um, you know, um, until, until we're at a point where kids under 12 can be vaccinated, everybody's gonna be wearing masks. Mm-hmm. either that or i'm going to do something like uh like i saw there was this punk show down somewhere i, I want to say in florida somewhere uh where you know the it was like 20 dollars tickets if you had a vaccination proven a thousand dollars if you didn't <laughs> and and you know i was i'm very seriously thinking of structuring my entry fees that way because you know as a private organizer i mean i can do that yeah and and you know if, if somebody else wants to have the the anti-vax open where everybody has to sneeze on each other and do whatever. I mean, you know, fine, you know, you do what you want to do, but um, you know, I mean, if we're going to get, I think it's exactly what you said. If we're going to get the chess world or the world at all made, you know, back into something like we want it to be, you know, we all got to be safe with each other. So. Well, yeah. I mean, and then I, I, I had such a lovely experience. I mean, did I lose, I, I played, I played 10, I think 10 games at Marshall. Um, and this is after, I mean, I, I grinded like 400 yellow points online. I got like a GM coach. I was like really, really seriously studying chess for a while. And Can I, I ask who this, you're studying with, uh, his name is Ori Kobo. He's, he was a guest on my podcast. He's 24 from Israel. Uh, nice. yeah, he's a ama- amazing guy. Uh, great coach. Um, but I had, I had a little bit of a blow to my chess confidence, like in May when I was just very busy with, with, um, with school and started losing a lot of games. And, uh, so you know, my results have been pretty bad. I, I lost like eight games. I drew one. I won one that I should have lost. Uh, so yeah, I've been horrible over the board. Uh, just, I guess, I guess I'm not used to it, but man, I mean, what a, what a lovely place to lose eight games in a row. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I mean, well, and I, I think this is actually really important. And I think this is going to be where the chess community needs to really step up is that with people like you who got hooked by the online world, when you transition into the meat world, so to speak, of chess, um, you know, we need to be welcoming to you because you guys are the future of the game. I mean, if, if you, I really do hope you come down to the U.S. Open, if, if just for a couple of days, and, and I will give you information on this after we're done here, um, but I want you to come down and see who the delegates are. And I, I, I love the delegates, I, I, but it's the same people who have been the delegates. So the delegates are basically like the leadership, the, the national leadership of US chess, right? So we have a, an elected executive board that makes all the decisions. We have an executive director who implements the decisions and sort of runs the staff. And then we have a professional staff who does different things like events or publications or things like that. The delegates are the people from all over the country who sort of set policy and, you know, and with the executive board. Largely, it is the same people who've been doing it for 30 years, mm-hmm. which speaks to their dedication and speaks to their institutional knowledge 
But at the same time, it's the same people who've been doing it for 30 years. So we need young people to come in and begin to, you know, learn how to be the leaders of tomorrow. Um, and, and, you know, unless the chess world is, is welcoming to people like you, it's not going to happen. You yeah, know, it's, well, it's, I mean, I will just say like, once again, like the Marshall, Marshall chess club, I like from the moment I was there just to see all the history there is, is, is really beautiful. Like just to see, you know, these books, uh, you know, the memorabilia from, from recent world championships, like the posters of the world chess championship matches of the Kasparov Karpa, but also this like actual, like stuff, the Capablanca, like, like, I think when they have like Capablanca cigars and like some books of Marshall or it was Marshall cigars and like just his own books. And like, it's like teeming with history that anybody who's a fan of like chess lore, you know, like, like the good old fashioned, like, you know, like morphe stories and something I, I don't know if there's any morphe stuff there but you see like a lot of like chess lore and then just to have people like my age even younger people who are older i saw like jay bonin in the flesh for the first time new york iron man new york like, legend yeah no a seriously like a seriously a legend and like like um i and you know it, it was just an amazing experience and also like um it's like the wild west in otb right now like there is a guy who is 1800 who beat a 2500 uscf player yeah like just beat him ratings like, go out the window right now yeah, I mean, usually, usually that's how it is with kids like you play a kid and you just have and you have no idea if their you know 1200 rating actually resembles anything like their play um but it's going to be like that for everybody yeah it's, no, it's, it's going to be it's crazy. crazy yeah it's 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 insane i mean i played uh so i played in thursday action like uh the the day after i graduated from college so i was exhausted maybe a bad idea um, I lost all four games, lost game four. It's like my, my, my friend, Matt, actually, he got his first tournament win against me. He's no uh, longer a friend of the pod. That's it. No, we, we hate him now. We, we're <laughs> not, yeah, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not friends anymore. Um, I still like you, Matt. Don't worry. Yeah, no, no. He, 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 he used some Levy Rosman E6 B6 course against me. I blundered upon in the opening and I got just destroyed. Uh, and so, I mean, it was a fantastic win. I was very proud of him. Um, cause I taught him how to play chess. So, you know, so, so it's like a win for you anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's a win for me anyway. And then he got another win on his own. He went to another tournament last Wednesday and, and he got another win on his own. And then he got a draw yesterday. So, you know, he's doing good. He's doing really good. He's playing like this, uh, this weekly Wednesday tournament and he's, he's tied for first right now. So he's, he's doing great guys. If you're listening to the pod root for my friend, Matt, as he tries to continue his, uh, his climb. Um, but you know, I, what I'm saying is because, um, the day after this, every Saturday, there's a beginner tournament. And, um, it's like people who are under 1400 and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm 1900 on chess.com and rapid, uh, you know, I'm like 2000 blitz on Lee chess. So, you know, I'm going to, I'll probably get it like three wins and get some money. Turns out everybody I played was exactly like me. I like tw except 2100 on Lee chess and 2000 rapid. And so I ended up playing, you know, we're all like a thousand ELO there. And meanwhile, like I got smoked. I lost again. I, I got one draw in round one. And then I lost my other three games. I finished with like one and a half points or something like that. I think the, the other thing to just keep in mind is that there is a difference in visualization with two-dimensional and three-dimensional boards. It takes time to translate yep. the way you think in online chess into a, a really stable way of doing it over the board. And that's been a, that's been a big issue. Like, you know, I, I, for me, and, you know, maybe this will help other people who are playing um, over the board for the first time. I only played online. I'm only used to the 2D and 2D. I, I'm 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 kind of a mix of like what you describe your play style as and and super aggressive. Where I kind of like to simplify a little bit and look for tactics in these 
more simple kind of middle game structures. Like for example, I play the Karakhan. So you like imagine the exchange Karakhan, you like lose a bishop, lose a knight somewhere, trade off a central pawn. Those are the kinds of positions I love to play. And I noticed that I was getting those kinds of positions, my bread and butter. And I just started playing these passive knight moves all over the thing because I was just scared. I, I knew I had a position I liked and I was scared to lose it. And so I was playing these really passive moves um, because I wasn't used to it. And I was just, you know, just trying to save my advantage. And I was just losing game after game after game off, off small inaccuracies. Um, I'm, I'm analyzing the games right now. So yeah, I think very important. I wouldn't enter a over the board tournament until you maybe play on Lee Chess, play some 30 plus zero with the actual board if you own one and try to really get a sense for the motion, get a sense for when you get a move and calculating on the board, not on the screen. Like right. And, and, you know, this is actually, I think there, Kostya Kavutsky just had an, a, a YouTube video where he talked about why especially if you're transitioning to over-the-board play, you might want to use a tactics book as opposed to a tactics trainer. And the reason is that in the tactics trainer, you know, you make the first move, right? So you, you, you do your calculation, you, you see that, you know, queen f7 wins. Um, so you play it, and then you get, like, you don't have to visualize as far, right? Because now you've played the first move, and you, you can sort of guess your way through and, and take it position by position you don't have that luxury over the board, right? You have, you have to see the four moves in your head and that's a little different. You don't get that immediate feedback. So, uh, and the other thing is that, you know, the, the tactics trainers don't play the human moves in response. They play the, they, they play the computer moves. So, you know, um, I'm a big advocate of the steps books, uh, the, the step and method, yeah, the chest steps. No, no, um, chest steps. It's the, um, uh, it's a series of workbooks that are put out by the Dutch National Federation. If you go to stappenmethod.nl or chess-steps.com, uh, you can find out more about them there. You could also, um, you can go to my blog and actually search for it. Uh, one of the first big, big, big reviews I did was about this. So if you just search for chess steps, John Hartman, you'll find it. Um, and those are all tactics that are sort of... Um, it's mostly tactics, especially in the early books. They're sorted by type and um, and and by level, so that you know there's like step one, step two, step three, mm -hmm. step four. Um, if you go through those, I mean, you will have you know the tactical foundation of a 2200 player, and and you will have learned it in a systematic way, as opposed to just sort of the random stuff you get on the tactics trainers. Um, so yeah, pro tip from someone who is not getting any better at chess to uh, <laughs> to you people out there who are trying to improve but you know what actually so i was in north carolina for a week and i i was reading this book i'll just pull it out it's called the art of the middle game it's by uh, uh paul Karas yes. and uh, alexander kotov sure yes. um and now so you so you are able to read descriptive notation is that the i i taught myself how to do it uh it's it's yeah i i basically i just opened the book and i kind of figured what i was trying to say and I would say I get it right 95% of the time. And then sometimes I'll go through like the diagrams and suddenly things are going really wrong. Like, oh, well, knight, like Queen's Knight isn't there. And then I realized like six moves earlier, I, I captured the wrong knight or something. Yep. But, you, you know, I wish that somebody modernized this book. But I will say, again, we're talking about this like this like online to OTB. All the attacking chess. I used to be a very fierce attacking player. Um, that was kind of my style. Uh, and I have to say, everything I learned about attacking chess, I learned from Mr. Agad Mator and his videos 
and watching guys like Dubov and Nakamura, like with just these crazy tactics or the Stockfish, you know, like the Lila games. I never actually read a book like that one, which just talks about the principles of attacking chess before. And there is something to be said about Alexander Kotov and the way that, you know, he was a Soviet grandmaster who flourished in like the fifties and sixties. Uh, you know, he played in Zurich, the famous Zurich tournament, he and Karras, um, the one that Smyslov won the candidates tournament. Look at you uh, knowing your chess history. I, I'm telling you, I, I, I read the lore. I, I'm a, like a, I really love the, the chess lore. So, but why am I saying this? Because um, I learned about attacking principles, about when to attack. So then I'm in North Carolina. I'm drinking beers like nonstop because I just can't stop drinking beer for whatever reason, like over the past month since, since I was been in graduation mode, it's just I'm drinking beer every day. Um, and suddenly I hit 2K blitz on Lee Chess. Like I've never been able to do that before. I was always getting to like, you know, 1890 or something like that. And I suddenly get 100 points instantly just after learning these principles. And I, you know, so I think it's very valuable, not just to, to like practice over the board just for the sake of tournaments, but also to realize that learning these things over the board with a book, um, because it's just more practical, I think, to have a book and like with a board than a like a book and like on Lee Chess, for example, and making a study. It will help your improvement the other way too, in a very important way. And so, I mean, I, I've been enjoying this book. I'm on chapter two. I, I need to like find time because I'm working now. So I need to find some time to finish these books. And also the Jakob Agard books, um, I need to, or Ogard, sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the books, but I'm starting to go through positional play and a man, it is hard. It is really hard. Yeah, but... And that's actually the easiest of the five. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, um, so yeah, I, you know, chess books are a big interest of mine. Um, again, because I, I had- This to... is what I want to ask you about. Yeah, about the chess reviews. Yeah, so, um, you know, chess books for me, um, I mean, you know, again, people- People here aren't, you know, uh, you're not going to see this, but David is. I'm, I'm just going to. Oh, my God. This is my office. Now, granted, <laughs> half of this is um, not half because I've actually gotten rid of quite a few of them. A good chunk of this is the remainder of my academic library. But all that back there. Wow. Chess books. And you've read uh, all of them. No. <laughs> no. 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 Um, and, and, you know, I'm going to give people a, a tip here, an admission that you will not get anywhere else. Um, no, well, I, I should, I, maybe I, I don't know if this is actually true. Um, Matthew Sadler may be the exception because he can read books blindfold in his head. And, but, you know, uh, no one can read a chess book every single detail, like, like, a, like Agard, one of Agard's books or... Um, you know, what's the I'm trying to think of uh Dvoretsky's Endgame Manual or oh goodness. I mean, you know, any of these big books with all this analysis in it, anyone who writes a review of these things and says they've read every single thing and gone through every single move is lying. Yeah. Because you can't do that in a timely basis. Like I had to get a column out every month. Yeah, um, I mean if you're if you're if also if you just have a job, you're not I mean who's you know it's like it's like most people don't even read in their free time. Like Right. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. It's um yeah, you know, but this is where you, know, you were talking about, you know, your friend who uh watched one of Levy Rosman's um, you know, opening videos, right? Well, I think he bought the course, but still, yeah, it was all video based. Yeah. So I mean, you know, you are going to get some some learning from that, right? You're going to get some ideas. But there's not active engagement with the material 
right? You, you watch the video, you try to remember it. And then, you know, maybe somebody stumbles into it and you, you get a, you get a win and yeah. Okay, great. That's, that's perfect. Um, but there are times when you need much more active learning and that's where the books come in because, you know, for $30, you know, you get like a Dvoretsky book, um, which, you know, look, I've been playing chess for 30 years. It's way too hard for me. Um, I, sometimes I still enjoy trying to stretch my head out with it. And even though I don't always get everything that I'm reading, um, I'm getting something out of it. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, even just the act of actually straining myself to understand it, I think is productive. Uh, you, you don't get that with videos in the same way. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm, I, you know, something that I actually, I bought a couple of books that were turned into chessable courses and that's been okay. But it's kind of the same thing that you're saying, like when you do a tactics trainer, which is why my coach, Orikobo, actually, you're going to get some grandmaster advice. If you guys like using tactics trainer, like this is exactly what you're saying before, but I'll just say it in, um, in a concrete way. When you're calculating variations on the tactics trainer, whether it's on Lee Chess or the puzzles or chess.com or chess tempo, whatever you use, calculate it all the way. And, uh, make yeah and and then go for it and if you, if you get if you, if you let's say you calculate the the right move but the move that is played in your head is the one you didn't expect then go from that position and continue um it's still not as good as just you know like with the agard books where it's like in calculation i did like the first 15 exercises of the calculation before i said i'm not good enough for this um but man, sit, so you sit for 20 minutes on like an actual board and like you have to calculate, okay, I play E6, but after this, but what about after this? And you get a lot of this amazing experience for calculating things in your head. Um, but that's how you got to learn um, if you want to really like take that next big step in improvement. Yep. Um, and it's really nice to have books for that. Um, obviously you can do it without a book, but I think it's, a, it's just like you said, it's a testament to the act of learning that you get out of a book that you don't get otherwise. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the struggle the struggling with the material is where the growth comes in. Right. Um, you know, uh, if, if you are looking for book recommendations, I mean, generally speaking, I, I think this chess step series or step and method is great for anybody who is starting out. Um, when you get them, make sure if you're trying to self-learn that you get the manuals too, because that's where they actually sort of explain to you how to interpret positions as opposed to just trying to solve them blindly. The whole point of chess steps is that you learn how to break down a position and and find the the elements of different combinations or the the elements of different plans to to make the best move you can. Um, for the Dutch, the, the, I just want to say the Dutch Chess Federation is fantastic too. I mean, you have you know, some some incredible players from from uh, from the Netherlands like Erwin Lamy, of course, Anish Giri, uh, Jordan Van Forest. So you know you know you're getting good stuff. And most of them grew up on this stuff. Um, you know, whether it was systematic or not is, is not always the same for some of them, but, uh, let me, I think, I mean, you know, very explicitly grew up on the steps. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tested and proven. Uh, if you're looking for something a little more, uh, maybe a little more advanced for people starting around 1500, uh, Arthur Yusupov's, uh, nine book series from quality chess is a great way to, um, I mean, get pretty much everything you need in chess to get to master. Uh, the problem is just going through all the books because it's, you know, it's a lot. But at the same time, you know, for $25 or $30, one of these books, it'll last you three months. I mean, you know, if that's all you did, like, you know, you, you did a couple chapters a week, 
you got three months of material there. That's a pretty good value. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I could talk about chess books all day, uh, but. Is there, I, a, there, is there, I was going to ask you, um, is there one book that you, you have a special like fond memories of that? Like just, I know you probably have read so many books, but I'm just curious if there's like one book that's especially meaningful to you. Fred Reinfeld's chess in a nutshell. Um, it was the first chess book that I ever bought with my own money. It was a tiny little, it was like a little trade paperback. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I told the story also in, uh, in, in my little memorial for Dvoretsky. Um, it was like 1991. I was 15 years old and I was in a, a Walden books, a Walden books in Levittown, New York, New Yorkers. If you remember the one that was on Hempstead Turnpike in like East Meadow, this is the one I'm talking about. Uh, they had a book by Mark Dvoretsky called Secrets of Chess Training. It was this pink book. And, you know, I was, I just started playing tournaments. I was terrible. <laughs> uh, but this book, it said Secrets of Chess Training. And it had a preface by Gary Kasparov. And I opened it up and I understood absolutely none of it. And I still tried to read it. And for me, that's always going to be like that, that moment. It's like, thank goodness I quit smoking. But that first cigarette I ever had, like, and, and you always remember it because it was like the only good one you ever have. Um, that's what it was like for me. It, it was just, uh, that book will always be in my memory and buying it will always be in my memory. Yeah. And then you, you, uh, you, you had a honor orthodox uh, step reviewing chess books. And now, now you're uh, the editor of a, of a fantastic chess magazine. What a journey. It's been something. But I'll trace it to that book <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, you know, shout out to Bob Sostak and Harold Stenzel and Brian Karen and, and Mark Ritter, my first coach, uh, who is now down in Florida as a fide master. All these people who helped me along the way, um, of course, John Watson, international master John Watson, who um, I, I, I would never have dared write book reviews if I hadn't met John Watson. Um, he was so incredibly generous to me. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, still he's, he's, I hired him to write the book review column for chess life now. So awesome. yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's people paid it, you know, people, pe people help me out and I'm hopefully gonna be able to pay it back somehow. Well, yeah. I th and I think, you know, um, your vision for, for chess life, it seems like, it seems like a, a great one. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to, to the, the issues to come. I do have two more questions. First of yes. all, um, what book would you recommend? for, you know, a hotshot 18, 1900 straight out of college, about to go to Denmark for a year um, that wants to do some serious chess improvement on the side. Serious chess improvement on the side. Hypothetically, hypothetically speaking. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Um, that's probably a question for your coach, but. I know. Well, uh, he, if, he recommended the Agard books to me. So. Well, I mean, that's, that's the one everybody's going to give you. Uh, I would make a couple other suggestions. I would say the best thing you can do is ground yourself in the classics. So I would get the game collections of uh, Capablanca, Rubinstein, Aljekin, Botvinnik, Smyslov, and I would play through a couple of those games every day. Um, you, I mean, you can do it in chess base. You can do it in Lee chess. I, you know, for, especially for someone like you, I have a board actually. So I would probably use that. Okay. Well, but I think the sooner you learn to use chess base, by the way, I think the, the better off you're going to be. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's not the the cool new tool that everybody wants to use because it's kind of, you know, the, the design is a little dated and things right. like that. But there are things you can do in chess space that you cannot do in Lee Chess and you will never be able to do in Lee Chess. Um, so if you're ever really wanting to get serious about like opening preparation or a heavy game analysis, uh, chess space is, is ubiquitous. You, you, you have to learn how to use it. Um, playing over games, I think, is really important. So those and the classics, basically anything, you know, anything before, let's say, Smyslov, I think is good because the difference in the players, like, you know, if you're watching Capablanca play against Janowski, um, the, the difference in their playing strength means that you'll actually get to see Capablanca, you know, enact a plan all the way through to its end, as opposed to today when, you know, Geary and MVL, they can, they, they understand each other and each other's plan so well, they, it's, it's, I always think of it like two players on a tightrope and they're both kind of like trying to knock each other off, but they also realize if they really try to tweak the rope too much, they're going to fall off. So it's kind of like they, they like nudge it with their toe and then there's that's counterbalancing and then it's a draw. Um, whereas with Capablanca, Capablanca just played moves that Janowski didn't understand and beat him. Uh, you know, you, you see the same thing with Elyekin, with Rubinstein, uh, with Lasker. You know, I mean, even Steinitz, even you can go back and even play through Steinitz's games. Uh, all the, all this goes to say, know your history. And it sounds like you're the kind of guy who would be into that. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other thing I think is get a good end game book and play through it and, and really learn your end games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, if you want to learn rook endings, get the, the Smyslov and Levenfish book, even though it's in descriptive notation. Don't get the algebraic one because there's lots of errors in it, but get the descriptive one and play through everything. You know, because you you're prefer- going to get... Do you prefer descriptive notation to algebraic notation? Um, no, no. I, I, I definitely, you know, I'm more used to algebraic now. It's certainly easier to read, but there are so many books out there that you can't get in algebraic, like Botvinnik's 100 Selected Games. You know, I mean, every chess player needs to read that book. Only available in, in, in descriptive. So, so that's the book I'm going to get then. Take it and learn. I mean, you know, learn how to learn learn descriptive. Um, I will. I will say one other book that I think is really really important is uh, Mauricio Flores Rios, uh, Chess Structures, A Grandmaster Guide. So what he does is he takes you through like, I want to say about 100 games, but I could be misremembering. And he breaks it down by openings and he shows you the typical structures. He shows you the plans for both sides. Um, And then he shows you sort of, you know, model games where the plans are enacted. So if you want to understand the French defense, um, if you want to understand that pawn structure, he's got games in the French. If you want to understand isolated queen pawn positions, which are critical for any player to any improving player to learn how to play with both colors. Um, you know, you can play like eight, I think like eight different IQP games and he shows you different typical things. Um, that book is, is worth its weight in gold. So definitely get that one and take it to Denmark with you. No, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm going to take a small library with me for sure. Good. Um, yeah. My last question, this is something I ask everybody on the podcast, um, all chess players. Um, if you had one opening, you had to teach slash play rest of your life. You know, most important opening is basically what the, to you. Um, that's, well, that's two questions. So yeah. the, the, the first question is teach. The second one is play. Let's go with um, teach because I think it's, I always phrase it as teach, but. I would teach the Tarash defense with black. So I've actually written an article about this. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a book review, but it was kind of a mini article um, about what openings are important for a player if they're trying to improve. 
because there's different schools of thought on this. Um, especially when I was growing up, there was the idea that you could play sort of like uh, busy person openings like uh, the Kali or the London. Now the London of course has turned into this whole other thing, but back then it was like, you just put your Bishop on H4 uh, on F4, you put your pawn on H3, you bring the Bishop back and you just don't, you played like the first 10 moves and don't think about it. Um, to me, that's wrong. Like teaching a kid to play a system like that is wrong because uh, they learn how to play moves in that system and they don't learn anything more about chess. You know, to some degree, something like the Sicilian dragon is the same way. Right. I mean, basically, I learned. You, you learn like to sacrifice your, your rook on C3 and maybe it's applicable in the night orf and that's maybe about it. Um, or, you know, like the Richter Rouser or something, but you, you learn specific things about that structure. You don't learn anything about chess writ large. The Tarash defense with black. Um, first of all, you can play it against anything that is not one E4. I mean, you can play it against knight of three. You, essentially, you can play it against c4. You can play it against d4. Um, but you also have to learn how to play with the isolated queen pawn. And that is important not only because that structure comes up in like five different opening systems, but it also forces you to play active chess, right? If you're playing black in the Tarash, like a mainline Tarash, and you've got that isolated pawn on d4, um, if you don't play actively, you're going to lose the pawn and lose the game. Yep. So I think it's really instructive for players to uh, to learn how to play that at every level. Now, if you're asking me for an opening that I want to play for the rest of my life, um, that is tougher. I would probably say Grunfeld. Gotcha. Because um, for whatever reason, it seems to suit me. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of like looking at it with a computer too. Well, um, well, yeah, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show. Um, thanks for listening to 64 Chess Podcast, and I will see you guys next week. Peace. Th thanks, David.